Thursday, July 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Allen. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hanson, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to see you. Happy Thursday. Hello. Hello. We are going to wrap up Earnings Palooza with Sprint, Whole Foods, and Zynga, but we will start with Big Oil. Uh, a good day for the Dow as ExxonMobil's second quarter profit was up 49%, but Joe, uh, folks probably shouldn't get too excited about that 49% number. Yeah, it's a little misleading. There was a one-time bump a year ago. You know, what I'm really watching with Exxon isn't so much the actual dollars and cents, it's production, and that's down 6% year-over-year. Exxon's big problem is coming up with new reserves to replace what they've already got. Uh, Easier said than done when you're the size that they are. Problem is they're going to have to do that through acquisition, and they've made a lot of those over the past few years, but it's going to be tough for them to keep that up over the next several, and I think that's going to be a continuous problem in the years of that. Tim, what do you think? Well, they also made a big bet, a big acquisition of XTO Energy not too long ago, which was a big bet on natural gas in the United States. And I think, as a lot of people are aware, natural gas prices are low. Not so good. Very low. Very low. Uh, generally speaking, below the cost of production in a lot of cases. And people are just drilling in order to keep their leases, which is not a profitable way to go about business in the near term. You know, I think for a big cash-rich company like ExxonMobil, things probably work out. Um, you know, Jim Chanos has said he's short them because he doesn't think they can ever replace what they've got. Um, Daniel Jurgen, on the other hand, argues that innovation in the energy sector always means that companies find ways to get reserves eventually because the price will rise and you know to make that viable. Um, I, I, I tend to go with that latter view in, in terms of what I think is, is more likely to happen. And Exxon is in a really good position in terms of its global reach and whatnot. So uh, I think say, even-tempered about these results, not too good, not too bad. Uh, Tim, uh, we've talked recently about the slowdown in China and Granted, their economic slowdown uh, still looks a lot more robust than ours in America. But uh, what are the implications for a company like ExxonMobil? Is that is that going to be more damaging for them just because of their size? Or does the fact that they do have all that cash on the balance sheet mean that it's really the smaller players in the oil industry who are going to be more adversely affected by China's economy slowing down. Well, well, two points there. The first being that I don't think anybody knows quite yet the depths of the Chinese slowdown. You know, the government is reporting one set of statistics, but then you look at what the companies are reporting, you know, who have audited numbers like the train, you know, shipping companies and what the consumer companies are reporting, and their numbers all look really bad relative to what the government's reporting. So a lot a, of their books are cooked. There's a big delta there. I mean, you know, you, you know, Nike, for example, their quarter was crushed by by problems in China. You know, rail shipments are big are, are down significantly for Guangxian Railway, and yet the government would have you believe that those are aberrations when it's probably more likely that the truth. So I would expect, you know, energy demand in China to be to be fairly rocky going forward. You know, that said, the energy intensity of the Chinese economy is, is only going to go up, even though China's using a lot of energy as a whole. You know, remember there are one point three, one point four billion people there. So the per capita per capita energy consumption is actually quite low. So we should expect the energy intensity of China to go up. Uh, you know, and you, you just saw Sinook, the the big state-owned Chinese energy company, make a fifteen dollar, uh, fifteen billion dollar bid for uh, Nexen, which is a, a a large Canadian energy company. So, you know, certainly that company expects China to consume a lot more energy over the long term and is looking at the volatility now. As a, as a buying opportunity, and they paid a huge premium for Nexon, partly because they need to sort of overcome the political risk in Canada in, in terms of making sure the government there approves that deal. But, you know, I think, again, the long-term bet on energy intensity is a sound one. And, and there are a lot of solutions to that in addition to oil and natural gas, but I think oil and natural gas are, are certainly critical elements of any energy solution. 
In terms of ExxonMobil, the stock, um, what should investors who are looking at it, what should they have in terms of expectations? Because Joe, Low ones. I, I mean, I was just yeah. going to say, is it is this one of those like, look, this is going to be maybe a steady performer and it's going to pay me a dividend, but it's never going to be a world beater? Yeah, well, the stock's had low expectations for a long time, and that's part of the reason it's been such a huge home run over the very long term. The guys who run in it are great capital allocators. Exxon's bought back $130 million, or I'm sorry, $130 billion worth of stock <laughs> over the last five years, plus a few dozen billion in dividends. So they've clearly treated shareholders pretty well, but I don't think you're going to get whiz-bang returns out of a company of this size. And again, I think the production challenge is going to be a constant drag. Shares of Sprint Nextel up more than 20% earlier today on the company's latest earnings. Uh, Joe, revenue grew, and Sprint also raised guidance for the full year. Whoa. What do you Whoa. think? I, I had to say, my first hunch was that this was the market just overreacting. But you know, looking at the numbers, it was actually a pretty good quarter on the metrics that matter for wireless. So one was average revenue per user was up. Another was churn, so how many people, it's just what it sounds like, how many leave the company on a monthly basis. And they actually hit a record low in this latest quarter, and Sprint's been famously bad for high churn. Uh, the Nextel acquisition was a total train wreck. They lost a lot of customers, and they've been known for bad customer service, but they seem to be turning things around operationally, yeah. but they still have $15 billion in debt coming due between now and 2017. And for a company of their size, that is a massive amount of debt. Do you think some of the optimism uh, that we're seeing today has to do with the fact that I think one of the things the CEO said uh, in the statement was that the Nextel acquisition, basically that was going to be completely wrapped up in the next 12 months. So, Well, I'm, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> when did that start? It's been a long time. It's, long time. It's been a while. Yeah. Long time. Uh, Tim, what do you think when you look at the carriers? Because Sprint is obviously so much smaller than AT&T and Verizon. Is this an industry that interests you as an investor, or is it something that you just sort of stay away from yeah, altogether? Yeah, I'm pretty pessimistic about telecom carriers globally, mostly because I think there are a lot of things working against them that, that will make it really hard for them to earn their cost of capital in any meaningful way over the long term. You know, The reason is it's quite expensive to run a mobile telephone network. Um, but there's so much competition in the sector that people are driving down prices. And, and ARPU, I guess, for Sprint was up in, in the quarter. But generally speaking, the trend for everyone in terms of ARPU has been dramatic declines. And, and people around the world are spending less and less of their disposable income on mobile communications every year. Um, you know, there's been some optimism that as more data shifts onto mobile and games and whatnot, all these you know extra bells and whistles mm -hmm. will serve to make ARPU steady, as even though the the cost of talk goes down. But I think that you know more and more technological solutions are going to bring in you know more competitors and prices. Obviously, they're going to compete on price because competing on services. You know, either you have good service or you have no customers. So, you right. know, it, it's not really an opportunity to provide enhanced service in the mobile space. So, I, 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 well, I'm pretty bearish about the sector, generally speaking. Uh, Joe, what about you? Because, it, I mean, to hear Tim tell it, it sounds like this is potentially one of those industries, not unlike the airline industry, where, yes, technically there are winners, but you don't necessarily want to be investing in them anyway, even despite the fact that they are winners. Yeah, I'd agree. It looks a lot like airlines, only there's actual cash coming out of these companies. Right, yeah. But there is kind of a fool's gold component to that. So AT&T and Verizon Communications both pay really big dividends on their face, but there's a reason for that. As Tim was saying, they do pump out a lot of cash today, but there's a lot of long-term pressure on 
revenue per user. And I don't see that as being a trend that's likely to turn. I'm totally agree. Is this one of those situations where anytime we see, particularly with those two, with AT&T and Verizon, anytime we see either one of them make a move to either cut or suspend their dividend, like that's the that's the the red flag to jump ship? Well, by then, it will be already way too late. <laughs> you can always drop us an email. Radio at fool.com is the way to contact us. An email uh, from someone who identifies herself as Market Foolery listener number 144, dozen squared. Each weekday afternoon, I plug my iPod into the car, leave the TI office garage in Dallas. I'm assuming that means Texas Instruments. Zigzag around and head north on Hillcrest. The game is where will I be when you finish the podcast? Most days you make it to Campbell Road, sometimes to the police substation on McCallum, and every once in a while all the way to the Plano city limits if you yuck it up after closure. Lack of school zones in the summertime has increased your average achievement. So we're, we're, we're overachieving through the nice. summer months. That's nice. Thanks for the laughs and the superb financial education. I love it. Elizabeth Forbes in Plano, Texas. That's, that's as detailed a listing of how someone consumes this podcast as we've ever 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 gotten. Yeah. Tim, what's behind that smile on your face? I I, I just enjoying the creative ways by which she measures her progress home. Yes. Yeah. Yesterday's was pretty long. It was like twenty eight minutes. I was gonna say yesterday I think she was probably the, had to sit in the car for a while. It's yeah. a super Plano podcast. Yeah, she was she was sitting in the in probably her driveway just like God, what it just finished for the love of <laughs> Whole Foods third quarter earnings came in slightly higher than expected, shares up more than 9%. And Tim, they raised guidance. How are they doing this? You know, it's a great question. They're approaching, you know, profitability levels for a grocery store that have never been seen before, basically, you know, up above, meaningfully above 6% on the operating margin line. You know, I think think the way they're doing it is through enhanced – uh, prepared foods offerings. So if you go to, for example, our, our local Whole Foods, they now have like a per pound cookie bar, a burger bar. They're putting in a pub. They've got. They're selling probably way more beer than ever before, thanks to their their growler offerings and and their enhanced sort of wine promotions. Yep. And obviously, you know, if you know anything about the restaurant business, they make all their money on alcohol. So to the extent that Whole Foods is pushing up higher margin prepared foods and higher margin alcohol sales, um, I suspect that's what's really helping them in terms of their sales per square foot, their comps, and then also their profitability. But they appear to be firing on all cylinders right now. Um, I think a lot of consumer and eating trends are, are also pushing in their direction. So it seems like a, um, a pretty incredibly successful business story. From the investment side, the stock, you know, you don't often see – grocery stores trading at 40 times earnings. Yeah. And I think that's um, a little rich, despite my admiration for the company. But you know, from an operational perspective, it, 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 it's you know, a round of applause for the people running Whole Foods. They've done an outstanding job. It seems a little counterintuitive with the economy in the U.S. sort of bumping along. Well, and they've, you know, they've bucked the segment, too. I mean, when Chipotle reported um, poor or worse than expected yeah. results last week i think it was whole foods sold off starbucks sold off, you know all these sort of lifestyle brandy yuppie-ish type companies were all expected to sort of move in lockstep and for the most part they did except for whole foods which was the expection Man, people need their sea bass <laughs> they're they're uh certified um humanely caught sea bass too i mean you know they've done some programs that have caught them some flack in the in the media and whatnot but you know they've stayed true to their mission and and clearly consumers have responded well so joe to that point about chipotle and as we talked about recently the whole notion that chipotle stock before their most recent earnings may have been priced to perfection Mm -hmm. how do you think whole food stock is priced today 
I've thought it was priced for perfection for a long time, but they're operating at a very high level, as Tim said, and I should know. Rich Griefner and I drop a ridiculous, painful amount of money every day for lunch, but I regret nothing because it's delicious and so healthy. And, you know, like you're saying, how much room is there for something like this? Well, there really wasn't an option like Whole Foods for so long, and I think it's just going to keep sopping up share from people who do want healthier food and a better overall shopping experience. How much bigger can this company get? Because when you look at the footprint and how many locations Whole Foods has, it is a fraction of the number that, say, a company like Safeway has. I realize it's a, they're both in the grocery business. They're playing different games, obviously. But can they get to 1,000 locations across America? I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, what Whole Foods is going to have, they're obviously really good merchandisers, and they're really good at relating to their customers. What they need to prove that they're really excellent at over the next couple of years as they go into a sort of uh, continue their growth mode is being really good at real estate selection. Yeah. You know, I think I think for the most part, the easy pickings in terms of oh, we should put a store in downtown Old Town Alexandria or Union Square or you know Portland, Maine. I think I think those easy ones are sort of gone, and so the question is now finding where we can put a big Whole Foods where it will be successful because you know the drag on profitability for something like that and the drag on good capital allocation would be spending to open a big fancy store and then closing it down. And that's, you know, because there's cost of opening it, and then cost of operating it at a subpar level, and then a, a, a big cost of closing it. So to the extent they can avoid closing stores, and remember, when they acquired Wild Oats, that was one of the big drags on the results, was just reorganizing that portfolio. Right. Um, if they can continue to avoid opening bad stores, I, you know, I think I think the stock's expensive, but you're not looking at a, at a 40 or 50% drop um, if they have a bad quarter here. Or that If, on the other hand, they get a little too aggressive, you know, and they find out that a store in uh, you know random suburban Kentucky or something like that doesn't work, and they have a bunch of them and have to shut them down. That's when you're going to see the market really go sour. Yeah, unfortunately, most hot retailers follow this path of building new locations long after they should. And Starbucks is probably a poster boy of that. You know, when they had you know locations inside the bathrooms of other Starbucks, and they had to go back and cut the number of locations, and that actually boosted their economics nicely. But you see a lot of retailers and restaurants do that. And I suspect you'll end up seeing Whole Foods do the same thing. Well, now that we've talked about a couple of companies that have raised their guidance, shares of Zynga, the creator of Farmville, down 40% this morning after a huge earnings miss. And yes, guidance was cut. Joe, here's how much it was cut. The the previous guidance uh, for the next quarter was 23 to 29 cents a share. They cut it down to 4 to nine cents a share. So less. So a whole lot there, there less. There was a funny moment on the conference call when, when they, they announced that guidance and they went to Q&A. One of the analysts was like, I heard you, I heard you, I heard your new guidance, but I also heard you say that you're really excited about the second half of the year. Could you square those two <laughs> things for me? <laughs> Talk about how excited you are to have <laughs> just slashed your guidance. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Joe? This is, it, I it was mean, bad. How much, it was real bad. How much trouble is this company in? They're in a lot of trouble. You know, this is a company that when they came public at 95% of their revenue tied to Facebook. So when that's the case, you're totally at their whim. And what's happened, one, Facebook has more people competing for dollars and mindshare on there. You got more gaming partners coming on. And two, you know, Facebook wants more partners. They don't want to be beholden to Zynga mm-hmm. on the gaming side. So they're doing what they can to make it easier for other upstarts to get on there and compete, put it all together, and it's... You know, even though Zynga grew in terms of a number of users and revenue, it wasn't what the street wanted. Obviously, they're suffering. And, you know, the number I've talked about that I watch with these guys is revenue per user. And that was down 10 percent year over year, which is absolutely not what you want to see out of a company that should be 
conceptually in a secular growth story, or at least for the a ridiculous valuation that it carried for a while. Well, the, the frightening thing about that is that their revenue numbers, I mean, they, they can manage it because the way they, they do their business is that, you know, you buy a virtual, what do you buy, Joe? You buy farm credits, for example. <laughs> so you buy a virtual farm credit to purchase a virtual pig. Yep. And then, so so they pick up whatever money you spent as cash, right? Yeah. But then they recognize the revenue from those transactions over what they deem to be the useful life of the animal. It's a virtual pig. And they can live for a long time. How long does the virtual pig live? How do you recognize the revenue? There's no clear rule on it. So basically, they've got all this deferred revenue sitting on their balance sheet, which their revenue was up 25% this quarter. They collected that money. Who knows when they actually collect, did that business is what I'm saying. So, I mean, they can fudge their revenue number till the cows come home, no pun intended. Oh. And 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 – and and it's just I mean it's 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 incredible for a company that can manage its earnings to have a bad quarter. That that to me is is so laughably absurd that and this is I mean but you saw their deferred revenue was down, their bookings were down. So the, the business isn't even growing anymore. So if they're recognizing the revenue over the lifespan of these virtual creatures, yes. why in the world wouldn't they just start pushing virtual fruit flies, which die within 24 hours? They can recognize the revenue immediately. Well, no, they, because it's, it's an advantage to them to, have, to be able to recognize revenue whenever they want, right? Because if they, they had, you know, let's say they had a great so quarter. So turtles, they're looking to sell a lot of turtles. I would love to see they, the depreciation schedule for all the different Well, animals. this is the thing. They had a great, basically, they had a great quarter before they came public. They had, you know, Farmville was a fad, and they made, at one point, they had 30 million people playing it and ostensibly spending money on it. And so they got all this deferred revenue. And basically, as, even though their business is failing, they can continue to say that we're growing revenue because of all this stuff they did sometime in the past. And I have a feeling that it's, it's more dramatic than, than they let on. Um, like I said, their bookings and their deferred revenue balances are down. So I would say the business is probably in decline, which makes sense because Facebook had declining traffic, according to Alexa, over the past couple of months. And, um, and, and, and they changed their algorithm so that people aren't using their old – games anymore. And, oh, by the way, I think their games are, are dumb and, and a fad anyway, so it makes <laughs> sense that people are no longer playing them. But, uh, I mean, and the shameful thing about this is that the company is going to do fine. I mean, they've got $1.6 billion. They've shown- In cash? Yeah. Th- that they got from raising money Real from cash. investors. Not farm cash. Not farm cash. They've shown no unwillingness to hype their shares and then sell them Yep. Before you know, the market catches on to what's they, really going didn't on. Didn't they have the a business. secondary offering earlier this well, year? Well, you know, their founder sold all these shares at twelve dollars. You know, not very long ago. Clearly, these trends in the business don't materialize overnight. And you know, and they bought a two hundred fifty million dollar headquarters, and they're spending all this money on R and D, which is just going, you know, ostensibly to game development. But the employees are probably doing quite well. So I mean, the people who are getting hosed are shareholders. And, and I think that's going to be that's, – that's how this story is going to play out. We're taping this a couple of hours before Facebook reports their earnings. Obviously, we don't know what they're going to report. But one thing we do know is that the horrible earnings of Zynga have essentially dragged down Facebook's shares uh, about 6 or 7% today. Which leads me to this question. Is this 2001 all over again? Are we now looking at maybe fewer companies, but certainly highly visible companies that are highly dependent on online advertising? And how much of a risk is that for shareholders? How unpredictable is online advertising? I mean, when I see stories like this, and by the way, I didn't know that about Zynga, that they were <laughs> recognizing you got to read revenue. the foot. They don't make it clear that that's how they, how they do things. If I had known it was that absurd, I, I, I 
uh, I would have avoided it even more than I already am. But it, it just seems like this is, a, I don't know, a minefield for investors, these companies that are highly dependent on online I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with running a business that ha- that is dependent on advertising or has an advertising component. Obviously, it worked very well for a long time for newspapers and for television stations, and, and, and it still works for, for... And it works for Google. It works for Google. You know, I think the thing that separate Google, which went public in what, 05? So it went sort of, you know, went public right in the middle of, let's say, the bubble of 99, 2000, and the bubble of, the let's call it a Facebook bubble right now, or a Facebook-led bubble. The thing that Google does that neither of those two bubbles did is provide a, a really useful service. You know, for me, I think, I, I look at Facebook, and to me, it's, I would not be surprised over the next few years to see user um, engagement at Facebook drop really dramatically, because it's just navel-gazing. You know, I, I, everybody on their Facebook page puts up pictures of themselves and asks other people babies. To, and asks other people to look at it. It's like, hey, look what I had for dinner. You know what? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> so at, at the end of the day, where's the business model on that? I mean, people can people are only going to be interested in that for so long before it wears off. Whereas with Google, that, you know, finding stuff, information you need on the Internet, I can see where that's going. Joe is, and there's not a lot of ways that investors ever could have known this, but in hindsight, do you think that your own disengagement from Farmville was really an indicator here of of what we're seeing with Singa? Because you were a a big Farmville guy for a while. I got into playing Farmville because social gaming was taken off, and I said to myself, I want to learn about it, even though I think it is stupid. I'm going to give it a try. I got addicted to Farmville when it was a tough time. I went to rehab. I'm <laughs> kidding on that part, but I did play the game a lot for a couple months. Did you have virtual pigs? I had virtual pigs. I had a beautiful orchard. It was very... They're probably still recognizing Joe's revenue. <laughs> yeah, probably. But the snow leopards were the pride of So here's my. my so land. here's what Zynga is hopeful that you're going to come back. I deactivated the account. And play Farmville 2. Uh, yeah, probably not going to happen. Interesting. Yeah, I, wonder how many, I wonder how many of the 32 million people who at its height were playing Farmville, I wonder how many people it's true of. I will suggest it's a majority of them. Well, there is a pretty high burnout rate with the game. I mean, it gets pretty boring after a while. There is a social component, which is nice. I think there's something real to that. But at some point, I was like, what am I doing I'll here? tell you what. If there was a crime component to Farmville, I bet that would get you involved, Tim, because if you knew that you could start a farm on Farmville and you could rob Joe's farm, you would do <laughs> he that. He would do that. You would do that. <laughs> you would rob. You would absolutely do that. You, you would, would play that game. Leopards. True or false? Just to mess with Joe? Just to mess with Joe. There are better ways to mess with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Joe Mager, Tim Hansen from Motley Fool Asset Management. For more information on Motley Fool Asset Management, you can go to foolfunds.com. Guys, Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Check out Motley Fool Money, our radio show this week. It's going to be in historic first. We will be taping Motley Ooh. Fool Money Ooh. tomorrow excited. in front of a live audience of about 150 people. So Crazy. This, this could be awesome, or this could be an absolute train wreck. Either way, you're going to want to check it out. Motley Fool Money. Check it out on iTunes. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. We're not going to talk about baby goats? 
Did you own any baby goats? That was an amazing stat. No, we we did the math. Oh, right, right. right. And Zynga has fallen from its top the value of 4.7 billion baby goats. Baby goats. Because baby goats cost what? They cost $2. Yeah, in real dollars. In real dollars. Yeah. You know what? I think their next earnings call, I think that's what the CEO needs to do. He needs to just basically- They should just, report everything in Baby Goat. Just say the hell with it and say, let's totally embrace this. Let's force people to learn about Farmville. Unbelievable. 